You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful to be gathered here this morning. I hope and I pray and I believe that many, many in this faith family have even a deeper appreciation for the gathering of God's people on the first day of the week than they did six months ago or eight months ago. So we thank you, O Sovereign Lord, for bringing us together This morning, thank you for keeping us safe. Thank you for watching over members of this church. I pray that you would continue to watch over every member, that you would protect every member. And now I pray with the potential for many, many distractions. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear. We want We want to behold the glory of Christ. We want to deepen our understanding of his word. We want to be comforted. We want to be convicted if need be. So Holy Spirit, would you work through the preaching of the word? We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Please take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. As you're doing that, let me ask you a question. How many of you, and be honest, how many of you are fascinated by the British royal family? Go ahead, raise your hand. Okay, several that are willing to admit it. I think this is, I think there are a number of reasons Americans are uniquely interested in the royal family, whether it's the life of Queen Elizabeth and her 68-year reign or all of the drama that surrounded Charles and Diana or the fascination with William and Kate, there's, there's something about kings and queens and kingdoms that many of us find captivating. Now, what I find, found out this past year is that I don't understand how the British royal family works. I didn't know that Prince Harry could simply resign from the royal family, stop using his fancy titles, and move on to something new. I didn't know he could do that. I don't know why he did that. And if I'm being completely honest, I don't actually care that much. (laughs) I'm okay with not understanding the British monarchy because it has no real bearing on my life. Friends, as confused as I might be about Queen Elizabeth and her kingdom and how it all works, some of you might be equally as confused about the kingdom of God. But of course, understanding the kingdom of God is incredibly important. It's important if we are to understand the Sermon on the Mount, and it's important if we are to understand the whole message of the Bible. Last week, I shared an overview of Matthew's gospel with you. If you were here or you listened in, you heard me explain how Matthew sets out, guided by the Holy Spirit, to establish the identity of Jesus. 
Before Matthew records what Jesus says, he wants us to know who Jesus is. Jesus is the promised one. He's the true king. He's the great rescuer. Jesus is God's obedient son who brings blessing to the whole world through his miraculous birth, through his sinless life, through his substitutionary death, through his glorious resurrection, through his victorious ascension. For he is now seated at the right hand of the Father awaiting his return. As we now jump into the Sermon on the Mount, don't forget who's speaking. As I challenged you last week, if Jesus is who he claimed to be, then what he says matters. It's eternally important. So please, friends, as we work our way over the next many, many weeks through this sermon, please listen to and carefully consider Jesus' every word. Please follow along as I begin reading Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now here's what we're going to see during our time this morning. First, we'll look at the nature of the kingdom. And second, the blessing of the kingdom. The nature of the kingdom and the blessing of the kingdom. First, the nature of the kingdom. Before we begin digging into what are known as the Beatitudes, I want you to notice what is mentioned in both verse 3 and verse 10. It's the phrase, kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a theme in Matthew's gospel, and it's essential that we understand what this phrase means if we're going to grasp the full riches of the Sermon on the Mount. Again, as we saw last week, Matthew begins his gospel with an announcement. The king has come, and the true king is Jesus. What we'll begin to understand this morning is that the kingdom was at the very center of Jesus' message and ministry. It's what he did for three and a half years. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. He explained the ways of the kingdom, and he exhibited the power of the kingdom. Phrase Jesus used most often was the kingdom of heaven. That's recorded 32 times. 
But we also used other kingdom expressions as well. I want you to see this for yourself. So we're going to flip to a couple of different places in the Gospel of Matthew. First, go to chapter 3, verse 2. You're going to see something there that you see again in chapter 4 and verse 17. You'll see this phrase, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then look at chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Then go to chapter 10, verse 7. He proclaimed what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then later in the gospel, 10 times, Jesus introduces parables with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like Friends, you can't tell the story of Jesus without talking about his kingdom, and you certainly won't understand his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount without a kingdom framework in place. Now, typically, when we think of a kingdom, we think about geographical areas with boundaries. And inside that area, there may be a ruler, a a king, And this defined area is his kingdom. Well, there are certainly instances in which this is the way kingdom terminology is used in the Old Testament. Really, throughout Scripture, God's kingdom always has something greater in mind. In fact, I want you to hear how one author explains this. This is what he writes. Kingdom... Kingdom doesn't refer essentially to a piece of land, but rather to a rule or a reign. Perhaps it's best, in fact, to think of it not in terms of a kingdom at all, given the word's connotations, but rather a kingship. In other words, kingdom, especially as it's used in the New Testament, is a dynamic or relational concept, not a geographical one. So friends, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven in the gospel of Matthew, we are talking about this, God's redemptive reign in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, which has broken into the present evil age and is now visible in the church. So do you hear the emphasis there on relationship rather than geography? Let me say it again. God's redemptive reign in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, which has broken into the present evil age and is now visible in the church. The king came, and with him, came the kingdom, but yet it has this already and not yet sense, right? The king is here. The kingdom has been brought. It has been inaugurated by Jesus, and yet we await the final fulfillment. Listen to how Martin Lloyd-Jones expands on this. Lloyd-Jones writes, the kingdom of God is among you and within you, Luke 17, 21. 
The kingdom of God is in every true Christian and therefore in the church. It means the reign of God, the reign of Christ. And Christ is reigning today in every true Christian. He reigns in the church when she acknowledges him truly. The kingdom has come, the kingdom is coming, and the kingdom is yet to come. So when we talk about God's kingdom in this sense, we are talking about the power and the glory of Christ. We are talking about God's sovereign action towards sinners in calling them from death to life. We are talking about those whom Christ has purchased with his blood from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Brothers and sisters, this reality, this kingdom reality, ought to motivate profound worship and thanksgiving, and it ought to fill you with unwavering hope. Right, the king, again, the king has come and his kingdom has been inaugurated and it has been and is breaking into this crazy, wicked world with unstoppable power. Didn't we see that in the book of Acts? You can't stop the kingdom of Christ. You can't stop his reign in the lives of his people. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, no matter what's happening all around you, no matter what is scrolling across your TV screen under the title, Breaking News, you can rest. You can rest in this unshakable reality. Listen, all who are in the kingdom have life. All who are in the kingdom have life. Every citizen of the kingdom of heaven is known and loved by the king. Now, how do we know, apart from what we find in scripture, which is enough, how do we know the king has come and his kingdom is real? Look around. Look around. In this room. The kingdom is now visible in the church. This church, Redeemer Bible Church, is undeniable proof that King Jesus is alive and well. Now, what does this have to do with the Sermon on the Mount? Since the kingdom is something which is essentially spiritual and is primarily something within you, remember again, it's God. God's redemptive reign in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, which has broken into the present evil age and is now visible in the church. If this is true, then the Sermon on the Mount, will, it will pound two primary truths into our heads and hearts. Let me give them to you, and I think, I hope, you'll see them borne out throughout this series. Number one, our only hope is Jesus. Our only hope is Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus. Jesus kept every command of God perfectly. He flawlessly obeyed God's law. And this is highlighted in the Sermon on the Mount. This is why Lloyd-Jones wrote, listen, there is nothing that so leads to the gospel and its grace as the Sermon on the Mount. 
This sermon, over and over, will remind us that our only hope is Jesus. It's not our own ability. It's not our own righteousness. We need Jesus. Second, our only hope is Jesus. Second, obedience to Jesus. Obedience to Jesus reveals our worship of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount doesn't offer us the way into the kingdom. It offers us the way of the kingdom. Friend, you must not read the Sermon on the Mount as if King Jesus is standing at the gate of his kingdom and he's admitting only those who can check off every item on a list of entrance requirements. No. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus reminding hopeless and helpless sinners that he did everything that was necessary to purchase and secure your entrance into the kingdom. But as his loyal subjects, infinitely blessed by his grace, you must and your life will be marked by obedient worship. which is what Jesus lays out in this sermon. So this this brings us to the second point. First, the nature of the kingdom. I want you to understand what Jesus is talking about when he makes reference to the kingdom. Second, look with me at the blessing of the kingdom. Look at verse 1 again. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them. Uh, Matthew unfolds a scene that must have taken place so many times during Jesus' earthly ministry, especially in the early stages as multitudes followed him and his fame was spreading across the land. Picture, you can picture the scene pretty easily. Matthew records that Jesus went into a high place and he took a seat. This was perfectly normal behavior for a teacher. When he was seated, those who followed would gather around. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus addresses this crowd of his disciples. He immediately speaks of the kingdom of heaven, as we've already discussed. But he also talks about blessing, which I'll get to. Now, this is different than what we find in other places. In fact, I want you to look back at chapter 4, verse 17. Go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. How did, Jesus address, how did Jesus address the general public? His message echoed that of John the Baptist in chapter 3, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, when Jesus was speaking to the crowds generally... His message was an invitation to enter the kingdom by means of repentance and faith. But when Jesus sits down and begins to speak in chapter 5, and this is really important. When Jesus sits down and begins to speak in chapter 5, we see that his message is primarily intended for those who are already part of his kingdom. 
This is why I said what I did before. The Sermon on the Mount is not about the way into the kingdom, but the way of the kingdom. And if you don't get that right, you will fundamentally misunderstand the gospel. And your life will be tortured trying to measure up to some legalistic standard. Now, this does not mean that everyone who heard Jesus was a believer. But unbelievers are not Christ's main audience in the Sermon on the Mount. Order is important. Repentance comes before assurance of blessing. Before Jesus could talk about the blessed life of the kingdom, he had to preach repentance. Before one can know the blessing of new life, there must be a receiving of new life evidenced by repentance and faith. In fact, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 18, verses 3 and 4, as the disciples are arguing about who will be greatest in the kingdom. Jesus answers, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Friend, whether you've been in church for years or this is all new to you, you will never know the blessing of God until you first come to him in humility and desperation. Crying out for his mercy. But if you do, you will find Jesus with open arms. Ready to bless you infinitely and eternally. Notice in verses 2 through 11, the repetition of the word blessed. These verses are often called, I've already mentioned it, they're, they're called the Beatitudes, stemming from the Latin word beatus, meaning simply blessed. Now what's the overarching idea that Matthew is communicating here with the repetition of this one word? As some translations say happy instead of blessed. And while that's technically inappropriate translation of the word, it misses something of the depth and spiritual meaning that the context demands. Uh, D.A. Carson helpfully observes here that those who are blessed are generally profoundly happy, but true blessedness cannot be re reduced to mere happiness. Friends, blessed carries the idea of approval, doesn't it? Think about it, when a, when a nervous and sweaty young man approaches his girlfriend's father, as he should, to ask for her hand in marriage, what do we call that? He's asking for her father's what? Blessing or his approval. Now, bring that general thought into our text. How does someone experience the blessing of God? It is the knowledge and assurance that they are approved by God. But no man or woman has ever been or will ever be approved by God because of something they have done. So who then can have assurance that he is approved by God? Only the one who has been made right with God 
through faith in Jesus Christ. God's approval, his blessing, is based on the person and work of Jesus. The blessing of the kingdom is the blessing of being found in Christ, of being united to Christ. This is the place and position of blessing. So if you're a worshiper of Jesus, if you have turned from your sin and believed in Jesus, if you have trusted in Jesus for forgiveness of your sin and eternal peace with God, then you are truly blessed. But friends, this isn't simply a future blessing. Just like God's kingdom isn't simply a future kingdom. The message of the Sermon on the Mount for believers is this. You have been blessed. You are being blessed. And you will be blessed as you walk in humble and obedient worship, obeying the teaching of Jesus and walking in his way. I think John Piper captures what I've been attempting to explain to you this morning. So let me, let me end with this as it summarizes our study this morning and sets the stage to walk through the Beatitudes. Piper writes, the Beatitudes are an announcement of how fortunate people are who already possess, as it were, the power of the kingdom. You might say, blessed, blessed and fortunate are you who have the kingdom power at work within you, for you will inherit the kingdom with all its infinite pleasures forever and ever. The Beatitudes are announcements that people like this are very blessed, very fortunate. But that's not all. The Beatitudes also contain an implicit invitation to become this kind of person. The disciples sit at Jesus' feet and hear his words as congratulations. Oh, how fortunate you are, my dear brothers and sisters. Oh, how fortunate you are to be chosen of God, to have your eyes opened, to be drawn to the Savior, to be poor and mourning and meek and hungry and merciful and pure and peaceable. Rejoice, rejoice and give thanks, my beloved disciples, that you are this kind of person. For it is not your own doing. It is the reign of God in your life. So the Beatitudes are both an announcement of blessing already received through repentance and faith. And it is a call to ongoing and increased blessing as you walk in obedience to the words and the ways of Jesus. Not to get into the kingdom, but because you are already part. But it's not your own doing. It is the reign of God in your life.
Let's pray.